Welcome to Local Matters. I'm your host, Matt Swallows. I'll be looking at topics that affect us locally in both our city, county, and state governments. Uh, Just ongoing concerns across the community. And recently we started a series on the opioid crisis. Uh, We feel like that's a a very important topic across city, county, and state, for that matter. Uh, And we spoke, first we spoke to Dr. Sullivan Smith uh, to kind of get the medical point of view on the opioids. And now we have with us today uh, State Representatives Ryan Williams and Cameron Sexton from District 42 and 25, respectively, uh, to get the legislature's point of view and just uh, maybe even talk a little bit about the governor's proposed plan to attack the opioid crisis. But Gentlemen, welcome today. Thank you. Glad to be here. Glad you guys could make it. Uh, I know it's the busy time of year for you guys right now uh, in Nashville, I guess almost five days a week, but depending on the meetings. But I I appreciate you taking time out and talking to us. I feel like this is a very important topic. Uh, The more we can talk about it and know about it, I think the better it'll get for everybody. Um, But first off, guys, let's talk a little bit about you. Ryan, District 42. So. Uh, tell me the area. I get the thriving metropolis of all good Cookville uh, and Baxter. Uh, most of, about 85%, I guess, Cameron would say, of uh, Putnam County. And then Cameron pulls out uh, Monterey, the second school system for uh, snow days. There you there. go, the driving force yeah, of the every, snow days. Everyone <laughs> allows Cookville to be out of school. Yeah, <laughs> we love we love our friends in Monterey and the yeah. 25th District. Yeah. <laughs> so Cameron, the 25th District. It's it's all of Cumberland County, a portion of Putnam, which is Monterey, and then all of Van Buren County. The interesting part is the Monterey population is bigger than the Van Buren County population. Oh, that is interesting. I would not have known that. That's a good little tidbit. And you guys you guys have been in office for how long now? Going on eight years. Yeah. Came in together. Both of yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Same class. together. Yeah. Came in together together with this governor and they threw us in a a, a shoe closet downstairs in in uh legislative plaza and we thought, Man, what we have really made it now. <laughs> like, Only if we knew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well guys, again, thank you for coming and um just, you know, Chime in whenever, because uh, we're going to discuss this and, and, and get get what we can out there to the to the public. But the opioid crisis, um, what drew the legislature to this, or how? When did you guys realize this had become a really a really big problem and need to be addressed? Is there one certain thing, or is there a, a, a history of things? I guess I, I would defer to Ryan on this part. For the, I'll let him explain the first part because um, whenever he he went in and. Um, abolished the Intractable Pain Act, I think that was the start of our points. I'll let him kind of talk about that, and I'll fill yeah. in after. Okay. Yeah, the, uh, I think uh, for me it started, I got a, I got the Herald Citizen uh, newspaper one day, and I read a letter to the editor in there from uh, Dr. Batson, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. here at Cookville Pediatrics, and he was uh, discussing the problems associated with so many children being ad- uh, born in, in this community. Uh, being addicted to some form of pharmaceuticals, but in most cases they were opioids. And mm-hmm. So the we had at that time we had one of the highest rates of NAS neonatal abstinence syndrome babies in the state uh, per capita. So he started drawing our attention to that. Um, Dr. Gray, Dr. Sully Smith, I think has been a guest on your show. Mm-hmm. Uh, other ones were telling April Hall. Other ones have told us about this, and so. That's really where my eyes as a parent and a legislator were open to see it for the first time. And then 
as Cameron said, kind of a long walk as it relates to these kinds of things. We didn't get here overnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got here uh, really, I think it truly, I think it started with making pain the fifth vital sign right. um, because depending on who you talk to, you know, my, my grandfather would have a broken pinky uh, and he wouldn't even know it, you know, but if you broke my pinky, it'd be completely different. That's what's right. difficult about pain. And so, that error of the scale of one to ten hits adds two. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Bleeding profusely, but yeah. I'm fine. But, uh, but I think that's where it started. And then with the passage of of, of uh, pharmaceutical, had some um, what we'd call model language for opioids back in 2001, as Cameron related to earlier, the repeal of the Intractable Pain Act. This Intractable Pain Act, uh, as your most of your listeners probably know, because there's been a lot of discussion about it in the Upper Cumberland. The uh, this, for the first time, took a prescription pad out of the hand of the physician and gave it to the patient. Right, exactly. Uh, and so, uh, when did that come into effect? That, that was in two thousand one. Okay, yeah, that uh, that happened, and 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 really, what happened was pharmaceutical companies. I don't. I wouldn't say they purposely uh, uh, miscommunicated about it, but but the data was there that said they were much more addictive mm-hmm. uh, than they had had previously said, and so. Courts have opined that they did know enough to know that it was bad. Uh, but that happened in 2001. And you can actually see nine months after that passage is where neonatal abstinence syndrome started to grow across the United States. Do you care, just for the listeners, do you care to explain that bill a little, just a little bit? Yeah, so the Intractable Pain Acts, uh, because it was talking about, uh, it was uh, model legislation that Big Pharma decided that they wanted to pass in all the states. Okay. Uh, I think there are only 16 states that still have it at the time when I got involved with it. Uh, Tennessee was one of 26, so there's been yeah. nine others that repealed it. But the, in essence, what happened is is it it, it allowed uh, uh, patients and doctors to understand that these uh, that pain was important and management of pain was important and that the opioids were a means by which they could control pain and mm-hmm. that they could give people back their quality of life. And they said that these weren't addictive. And in the process of doing it, the, the law literally said that if a physician, if, if a patient uh, couldn't get uh, relief from pain from their general physician, that they could go to a pain clinic, which is where you saw pain clinics start coming up. They could go to a pain clinic and go get it there. So in essence, what you were telling physicians for the first time is, is that either you give this to them right? Mm-hmm. Or they're going to get it from somewhere else and they couldn't keep someone from doing it. Well, you know, it doesn't matter if it's cheeseburgers or, or whatever it is, you know, if somebody can get more of them, they're going to, they're going to go that way too. So, and so what happened was these be- being very addictive, uh, patient p- physicians, I think in the beginning really trusted pharma that these were going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as time progressed, it simply just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And, and, and in a lot of cases, I think back uh, four or five years ago, 31% of of the women in the Upper Cumberland that had a baby that was addicted to drugs were people like your wife and mine, people we go to church with, mm-hmm. who who got a prescription from a physician because they thought and they thought that was okay, right, right. but they just really didn't realize that that this was so detrimental to to their children. And one of the reasons I think this bill was uh, was so influential is because uh, these doctors they get reimbursed based off of their satisfaction reports from their patients, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. if patients go in there and they can't get what they want, 
the chances of them getting a good report and getting full reimbursement from CMS uh, were probably pretty low, weren't they? Yeah, they were. But you know, I, and and all that 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 is a, a huge component of it. I think what we we just didn't know, and you can't blame physicians because they they're prescribing drugs uh different pharmaceuticals to people all the time but but they trusted in the beginning but when we started to see the results that we were having with patients mm-hmm. you know Cameron and I we one of the reasons why we're so particular and uh and being slow to walk with any changes is cuz every time we make a change he and I get dozens of phone calls where they're literally sound like people addicts who are frustrated because we're uh well as they say messing with their their pharmaceuticals because these people in some cases truly are addicted to the medicine mm-hmm. uh and it's it's a difficult place to be so that <clears throat> that bill passed in 2001 and 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 like you said it, it wasn't an overnight thing we didn't get there overnight this is just a gradual thing and just just to just to give a a, a few statistics to uh to talk about how big of a crisis it is uh, in 2016, over 1,600 people passed away in, in the state of Tennessee. Uh, so that that the opioid addiction claims at least three lives per day in Tennessee back in 2016, if you do the math. Uh, so that that's just something to 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 reference when we talk about this this addiction and this this crisis uh, and and you know the need to know about it. So so we go from that to. Um, What's the what's the next thing maybe that popped up in the legislature's uh, mind or, or came 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 to you guys to to make you realize this is getting worse and worse before we got to this point, of course. Right. Well, I mean, I th- I think it started with the Intractable Pain Act, mm-hmm. which which opened the doors. I think at the second time is you had pain clinics coming in after that. They didn't come in before; it came in after. And in Tennessee, we didn't have any. Uh, they weren't licensed. They weren't registered. There was no regulations, and so. Uh, you had pain clinics popping up that were, were basically just pill mills, and that's mm-hmm. what they were operating as. And you can go in the controlled substance database and, and see that they're pill mills. Um, so it's kind of a perfect storm of different things that, that happen uh, as you move through. What I will say is is most of the time people don't start off you know, wanting the addiction. We all have kind of different personalities sometimes, right. so you have to be more careful depending. But it usually starts off as a dependency because you know sometimes someone has pain, the medication makes them feel better. So they become thinking they need the medication, and then they they go into addiction uh, that way. What I, you know, there are sixteen hundred people that have died in the state of Tennessee in two thousand sixteen. What I will say though is, as you're looking at the data now, mm-hmm. it, the v- vast majority of those deaths, people did not have a prescription in the controlled substance database sixty days prior to that. Mm-hmm. So what you have is a dependency to addiction mold. And then nowadays what it is is the Chinese are sending an illicit fentanyl, which is uh, 100, uh, 100 times more powerful than morphine. And right. certain types of fentanyl are 10,000 times more power, powerful than, than morphine. And so now they're being laced with street drugs and that sort of stuff, which is really what's causing the overdose deaths going up. Because in the state of Tennessee, we've rec- reduced the number of prescriptions by 13,000 for op- – I mean 13% for opioids. We've decreased the – morphine milli equivalent by 33%, and that's just in the last three years. Mm-hmm. So as we're limiting and it's reducing, uh, you still have the overdose going up. So it has to tell you there's something else going on other right. than just prescriptions. Right. We're meeting today with uh, state representatives Ron Williams and Cameron Sexton uh, talking about the 
opioid crisis, and uh, we'll discuss a few uh, a few things steps the legislature has taken to uh, to curb this this crisis when we return. Welcome back to Local Matters. I'm your host Matt Swallows, and with us today is State Representative Ryan Williams and State Representative Cameron Sexton, and uh, we're talking about the opioid crisis in the state of Tennessee and and when the legislature first recognized it being a crisis and, and some things they're doing now to, to help curb the, curb the issue. Uh, before the break, we, we were talking uh, a little bit about when the legislature figured out, you know, this was, this was a problem and, and some things that they're starting to do to, to curb the, the, the addiction side of things. But now we've gotten to the point where there's a lot stronger drugs coming into Tennessee that, that aren't going through the pain clinics and, 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 and that's harder to 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 trace to stop that sort of thing, right? I, uh, one of the things too, I think to, to piggyback on what the chairman was saying, you know, w- when we look at what's going on across the state, um, as he discussed earlier, what we would we would uh, pill mills uh, across the state. There were so there's such this huge rise as a rise of them, and with uh, new legislation, we're able to reduce those numbers. I think. Uh, that is part of the reason why you've seen the MMEs or morphine equivalents drop a lot in the state is because before, uh, Chairman, you probably can correct me on this, but there used to be in the 230 pill mills across the state. Now they're in the 170. So uh, it's one thing to – it's one thing to, to – and you correct me if I'm wrong, but it's one thing to to deal with the actual pharmaceuticals themselves, but – to limit and better control those pill mills that were actually cl- that we were actually closing, I think if you talk to Dr. Reagan and Department of Health, and I think he would say that was a huge component of of the reduction too. Right. No. I mean, yeah, that's exactly exactly right. And you know, and the thing is, is we made a a dent in in the amount of prescriptions of opioids being prescribed and the amount being used without having to limit patients how many they can get from a pharmacy or a physician can prescribe. You know, I think one of the things you really have to watch out for legislative-wise is, you know, we have a tendency sometimes to overregulate in, in, in crises or chaos, and, and we go back and we have to redo it later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you really just have to make sure that we don't overdo it and, and interrupt that physician's-patient uh, relationship to a certain level um, as you move forward. And and so it's a it's a delicate balance on, on how to do that. And as as we keep moving forward, I think that's what we're going to try to keep in perspective, which which is we're already trending down. We're already doing things that have seemed to work. Mm-hmm. And so we just don't want to make sure that we turn uh, Tennessee into a chronic pain state, <clears throat> which is a possibility if you overdo it. You have people who are going to try to get to that pain clinic uh-huh. and that pain specialist because then you it becomes a legal way to get that medication. Mm-hmm. So you have to make sure that you're kind of balancing back and forth. Right. Okay. Um, so let's, I guess let's talk about some of the things that, that you guys have going on or are proposed to go on. And, and um, first let's talk about Governor Haslam's, uh, his, his treatment plan, $30 million treatment plan for the opioid crisis. Um, tell me a little bit about that and, and, and how that works or how it's proposed to work. Well, I, I will say he, um, um, we we appreciate his plan. We really do. Um, he met this summer with his staff and his administration to put it forth. Um, I think the legislature, the House and Senate, both have concerns over the plans mm-hmm. um, as far as uh, how you do the limits, where you put the limits, 
um, making sure um, that you're not limiting uh, a physician's practice of medicine. Okay. And there's ways to kind of go about doing that. And I think the states have been all over the board on, on, on the limitations and so forth. You know, I think he's put some money into uh, treatment and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But what I will tell you is, is if you want to look at the bigger issue in the state of Tennessee outside of this, it's about behavioral health issues. And so what you have is you have people who have a mental health issue um, also with a substance abuse issue. And right now in the state of Tennessee, there really is not much treatment for those individuals. And and so it, it and if you're trying to look to to stop dependency, then you know that needs to be our goal is is where they don't get dependent, where they become an addict, and then where they they get it on the streets. And you know the governor's plan, I, I think it's going to have to be reworked, and we're going to work okay. with his administration in trying to do that. So so we're looking at maybe try to treat before they get addicted as opposed to just the treatment once they get there. Well, I mean, the governor's plan, um, he wants to put a five-day limit on the on the physician prescribing. The mm-hmm. physician then can prescribe another five-day prescription after that, and then they can pr- prescribe a third prescription after that if they meet certain certifications. The problem is um, that increases medical costs, not only for everybody, but also for the patient because that's three pharmacy co-pays, two physician co-pays, all in a 30-day period. Probably have three and doctor's so, visits. And so, it, it, you know, it puts a... Something you have to also make sure you're not doing an undue burden on just people who really do have acute pain that really need help. And right. and you know in his legislation he exempts palliative care, hospice, and cancer. But if you go in for a knee surgery, you may you're going to need more than five days um, pre-surgery for for that, mm-hmm. and you're going to need some afterwards. So so we have to kind of go back and and relook at it and make sure that. Um, that there are um, medical exceptions there for physicians if we're if we're going to go this route. Yeah, we, we, one thing I guess I want everyone to keep in mind is is the opioid thing started I think for people who really did need. I mean they they do need these. You know, there's there are chronic issues, there are cancer issues, there's there's things like that. But then it's it's morphed from that. So we we do need to remember there are there are folks out there that still you know we're not trying to cut it off altogether. Uh, but, you know, there needs to be access. Right. Well, you know, I think, too, um, is and, and Ryan and I talked about this the other day in committee, which is, you know, there's a misconception out there that OxyContin is the one that's driving this. You know, that's that's the drug that's been named to this opioid problem. When you look at the statistics in the state of Tennessee, OxyContin's a long acting opioid. It's maybe six percent of the market share. That's mm-hmm. it. Seventy percent of what's being prescribed are short acting medications, meaning Lortab, Percocets. That's 70% of what's being made up. And so really what you really need to do is go back and look at why is those being prescribed. Um, and then you also look in the database, and this is where Ryan was getting to earlier, is when you start looking at the data, the data and the philosophy of the policy don't match. Mm-hmm. Because 50% of the, the prescriptions in Tennessee already are less than seven days. Okay. So so half of the prescriptions of that $6.8 million last year that we prescribed, 50% of those are less than seven days for everybody. So then you that's 3.4 million prescriptions. And what you have to remember is people throw out, well, we have more prescriptions than people in the state of Tennessee. We also have to factor in the chronic patients. As you know, they're getting the prescription every month. Mm-hmm. If there's approximately 300,000 chronic patients in the state of Tennessee, and that accounts for about 3 million prescriptions. So when you start looking at what are we boiling this down to, maybe a million prescriptions at that mm-hmm. point. And that's why I really think it's more looking at it as a dependency and stopping a dependency to get to addiction and making sure we don't 
move people to a chronic status and actually move from 300,000 chronic patients to 500,000 chronic patients. Mm-hmm. And, and we're not doing enough to try to figure out how to get alternative forms of therapy for those chronic patients potentially over time. We're speaking with uh, State Representatives Ryan Williams and Cameron Sexton about the opioid uh, issue and crisis across the state of Tennessee. Uh, would one of you touch on, you mentioned, uh, Representative Sexton, you mentioned uh, prescriptions, majority of them are less than seven days. Now, there's this seven-day seven thing with prescriptions. Is is, is that like a, a, a point where it becomes dependency after seven days? Is that is that kind of the emphasis here? Well, I think I think what the governor's, uh, most of the data that, that the governor's using as a basis for his legislation is centered around um, how can we make the greatest impact? Uh, and he believes that the greatest impact can be made on the front end. I think to, to Cameron's point earlier, you know, 50% of these uh, prescriptions, uh, the, this bill, the, these bills that the governor's proposed do not affect them. And so uh, those are going to have any, you're always going to have them among you, if you will. But what he's saying is, is if, if you could limit the amount of prescriptions that someone has, he's, he uh, uh, has done it in three different categories. One is uh, opioid naive, uh, op- acute, and then or active, and then chronic. Chronic would be that group that are palliative care, cancer mm-hmm. patients, things like that. The, the ones the, that need it. The fifty percent right. that's out that, that that this bill doesn't touch. Mm-hmm. Uh, for in, I gave the example in the Department of Health uh, fin- uh, uh, meeting the other day with uh, fin- with their commissioner of health. I said, well, if Tyson, this actually happened last year. Tyson broke his thumb. Mm-hmm. He got appendix. Tyson being your son. Yeah, he is. <laughs> Tyson, my son. He, he he broke his thumb. He went and had his appendix removed. And then he had, uh, oh, and then he sprained his ankle. And so he was in the hospital back to back to back and got three prescriptions. Well, my son would then immediately, within that, those just being a teenager, he would now have moved from uh, opioid naive all the way into the 50% category, which that just because if we had filled all those prescriptions, of right. which we didn't, if we had filled, then he would be in outside this uh, entire structure based on what the, the governor's talking about. And so I think those are the things if they, they want to impact the the front of, uh, of when people are getting them. But I think the day in, and, and they say if they can reduce from five, five days to, or from seven days to five days, that they can decrease the, the likelihood by 10% okay. the number of people get addicted to that. So that's where that number comes in. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Right. I mean, when you, when you look at, uh, when you bring on the TBI potential or law enforcement, you know, what, what we have been told is over 60% um, of someone who takes their first opioid gets out of the medicine cabinet from their parents, which creates a huge itch, which means you're, you're getting too many and you're not using them and you're saving them for that next time that you may need a Just pain deal and go back to the yeah, doctor. Right. All right. right. Um, and why is that? So the question is, why does why do we do that? And, and part of the problem is, in Tennessee, we don't allow partial fills for controlled substances. So if your doctor feels like you need twenty days, he'll write twenty days, or she will. And you may go to the pharmacy and say, you know, I only want five. I don't think I need more than five. Well, the problem is, is the pharmacist will tell you, well, you can get five, but then you can't get the remaining. That prescription goes away. Okay. And so what people say is, well, what's the cost difference? Well, it's the same price. So what they will do is defer because they don't know about future if they need it again. They're not right. sure if they only need five days. So they go ahead and get the full script filled. They don't use it. It stays in the medicine cabinets. It creates problems. Okay. Well, guys, I, I want to say thank you. Um, we're going to 
State Representative Ryan Williams and Cameron Section have joined us today to talk about the opioid crisis, and, and we're not through. We're going to continue this conversation, but for this week we're through. And um, I want to say, everyone, please tune in next week, and we're going to talk about uh, – we're going to dive deeper, and we're going to talk a little bit more about it because we think it's that important that, that – uh, and to have these guys with us, uh, we want to get as much out of them as we can. How about that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you for being with Thank us. You. And uh, we'll ret- we will return next week and continue this same conversation, the opioid crisis in Tennessee.